Yeah. Hi everybody, hope you're well. Just um it's been nice just before starting to record the podcast just to um have a bit of a play on the pad. I was wondering why these sticks are a bit weird. Now it turns out that um it's warped. Yeah, it's not not hundred percent straight. One of them was feeling a bit strange. And um yeah, in fact they're both warped actually. They're quite old. <clears throat> I've been practicing um the last couple of months with a different pair of sticks on the pad with the fat end, the butt end of the stick, so to speak, as a kind of way to um just to sort of, you know, sort of deal with a bit more weight really and uh it's just kind of good for you to kind of be practicing with something I always think that's a little bit heavier than the stick that you play with. Um, that's been my kind of philosophy for a long, 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 long time. Um, well, a long, long time in my lifetime, that is. And uh, and that was kind of the theme of today, really, just um, talking about sort of doing things in your own way, playing your own way. Uh, I did an episode, I think it was 15, and it was called Teach in Your Own Way. And it's linked to the same thing, really. It was funny that I've actually sort of done them this way round. I was looking yesterday through some of the episodes that I'd done. Um, and I was like, oh, why have I not talked about that explicitly in an episode? I think there's a kind of omnipresent thing in the subject, all running all the way through about sort of being yourself, you know. Um, but I wanted to talk a bit more today in a bit more detail about that specific thing of sort of uh, having the confidence to be yourself and you know follow your own sort of follow your own nose really talk about your influences I was going to talk about one specific influence uh today I mean I did an episode about drummers of influence sort of the early years and the jazz years and it was all a bit sort of tongue-in-cheek those titles but it's all nonsense really but uh, I was going to talk about one specific drummer today, but I'll get on to that in a minute. Um, I just wanted to say thanks for coming back. Hope you're well. Um, sorry about last week if you bothered um, to check up if there was an episode. There was no episode. The, you didn't miss anything. There was nothing uploaded. I made the decision um, on the the Sunday night when I normally record, I'm recording this on Saturday night, I'm recording this night earlier than normal because tomorrow night I haven't got time to record. Um, so last Sunday night I made a decision to not record uh, an episode um, because of uh, because I've been very, very busy. And I was going to do it Monday evening, I decided I was going to do a day late. And things continue to be very, very busy. And... And I was also, um, I bought a new shed, a diff, uh, another shed. It's not like this shed, I mean, the drum shed. It's just like a normal garden shed. Uh, it was I kind of designed with the, with the guy that built this uh, summer house, actually, where I've got my drums. Um, he's a guy we always go back to. I've spoken about him before. I've spoken about the new shed. And I was basically putting the electrics in, and I wanted to do it all myself. It was a project. I'd sort of set my kind of, uh, you know, my goal, I had a little goal, like um, like with lots of other things, lockdown sort of situation, which has kind of eased now, and we're sort of coming back to 
We're sort of starting to get to slightly more times that are recognizable pre-lockdown. Um, but I'd set, you know, there's a few things I'd set myself as goals during these last few months, um, on top of the sort of normal work that I've got to do and normal practice that I would do. And drum-wise, I feel like I've achieved uh, quite a good kind of um, got to quite a good place in my head mentally uh, with my drums and about what I wanted to achieve and, and setting out a new kind of almost like a new standard like like that, that foundations thing where you set yourself a new standard to go forward with playing from a different place but also there was a few other parts of my life which are nothing to do with music which had sort of set a couple of goals um and one of the big parts of other parts of my life is driving, and I set no goals with that at all because there was no opportunity to drive. I mean, there's no, there wasn't even any opportunity just to drive my own car um, because we were just, you know, you weren't really supposed to go out anywhere and do anything. And so, um, I had a bizarre thing with my car. My wa windscreen washer stopped working, and it turned out that it um, because it been the car had been sat for weeks and weeks and I didn't have any sort of didn't have a lot of um, windscreen washer uh, in the actual reservoir and it wasn't very diluted it was basically water um, and obviously the weather got was very hot in May wasn't it um, a few weeks ago I was driving and my windscreen washer just stopped working you know there's a little spray of water and then the motor was going and there was no kind of water coming out it turns out that bacteria had grown in the reservoir because I hadn't put enough, you know, normal sort of um, windscreen washer sort of, uh, you know, stuff. Uh, it was too diluted. And, uh, yeah, this, I, so I got that repaired the other day. And that just goes to show you, like, because I've done hardly any driving. Um, the car had been sat around in that sort of hot weather during late April and May. May was very, very hot and very dry, as we all know. And um, it's been pretty crap since then. Um and the last couple of weeks have been awful, but just um, so there's not a lot. I'm not been doing a lot of driving, but one thing I've been doing a little bit of is more DIY things. I would call them, and a little bit more about electronics. And uh, when I ordered this shed, one of the things I wanted to do was I wanted to wire the shed in. It was something I wanted to do. I wanted to have sockets in there. I wanted to have lights in there. So when the guy built the shed for me, he put in the um, the kind of the carcasses, the sockets, and he put some uh, twin and earth, uh, one and a half and two and a half um, centimetre gauge, whatever it is, um, into the shed from outside, but it was just bare wires, you know, and, and so I had to make a decision about the lights and uh, how to get the electricity in from the house and all that stuff, and, and kind of, anyway, I've done that, achieved it, very uh, pleased with myself, a little stroke of luck with the um with some armored cabling which we have in the garden for which runs up here actually to the uh, where i've got my drum shed um and yeah got that done and was trying to get that sorted out and the weather was pretty crappy loads of stuff on we work work is very very busy at the moment um even though it's the middle of summer things are just really really busy um Looking forward to having some time off, to be quite honest with you, at the moment. It would be nice to just switch off from all that. Um, probably going to have a bit of time off music as well when I have some time off. Um, I'm not going to stop doing the podcast, I'm going to carry on doing that, but um, I'm not going to spend as much time as I have done up here. Uh, I'm probably going to spend a bit more time down in the, the shed doing 
bit of this, that and the other, and a bit of time in the garden and things. So, yeah. But last week, just Monday, just didn't have time um, to sort all that out. So it was just, yeah, it was all a bit crazy last week. Got the shed electricity done. And then by, I was going to do, I was going to try and do it Wednesday. And by Wednesday, I just thought, I'm just going to have a week off. And um, and it seemed like things were ticking over with the kind of downloads and stuff anyway. The uh, the Elliot Henshaw and Sebastian de Crom uh, interviews and Richard Cass interviews seem to have attracted a bit of downloading stuff, which is great. So I just thought, well, it'll be fine. And um, got some other interviews hopefully in the pipeline very soon. Just got to get around to organising them, really. It's more it's just a case of doing that. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of it, really. Not much else to tell you. Just um, been trying to make my drum shed. Um, I, had a lot, I had these blinds in here, which was basically for privacy. And they were originally in here because they were um, supposed to have some kind of acoustic quality. And uh, they didn't, really. Uh, not not for drums anyway um so i had uh some of you know probably a while ago i had uh some extra glazing put in so i've got quadruple glazing on one side of one half and then this interior wall with a door which is double glazed which basically knocks down the volume of the drums externally by quite a lot on the, on one side of the building um i'm still looking at some other soundproofing options that's an, an ongoing kind of Fingers ticking over in my head. Got some thoughts about that. I just rearranged a load of the shelves in the drum room a few weeks ago and uh, realised how easy it was to take all the shelves out. Because the basically the shelves, I have uh, one the, the sort of the top shelf has drum skins and, and drums on it, which are, are gigging drums, um, and they've just been sat up there for obviously for months, not doing much. And then uh, the other shelves have some tools and some other drum stuff, lamp and things, and bits and bobs of things. And uh, I've been thinking about putting some more acoustic stuff into that wall, but it's just tricky trying to put a shelf back up on a wall where you're effectively, you know, putting in two inches or whatever, or two and a half centimeters of acoustic kind of foam or something. You've got nothing to screw into then. So. It's been kind of, yeah, I've been thinking about design challenges for that. Um, I'm thinking about whether it's worth bothering doing it or not. Um, or leaving the room as it is. I quite like the sound of the room, you see. When I record my drums, I've got uh, I bought a better sound card and I've got some better mics now. And generally everything, getting quite a nice sound, I think. So I sort of loathe to kind of change the sound, really. You know, it's a quite a tight sound, but it's got a sort of, it's got a little bit of liveness about it because there's quite a lot of wood in the room. And now I've got rid of these blinds and gotten back to the glass and I've got these kind of privacy stuff put on the glass, which is this stuff that you just put on with water and like a squeegee thing. Um, really, really simple. You spray the window and you put this stuff on, it kind of sticks to the window with the water and then you just you basically get all the bubbles out with a, a squeegee thing on the window. And then... Um, the stuff stays on the window. It's amazing stuff. And you can take it off anytime you want and re-put it on. It's just um, designed in Germany. It's a brilliant idea. Not quite sure how it works, but I don't know if it's something to do with static or just the water. Or it, but it just basically sticks to the glass. It must be the way, it must be the sort of plastic, the sort of composite. It must have some kind of silicon in it or something that, that connects to glass or likes to stay stuck to glass after it's been damp. 
No idea. Don't know what I'm talking about. But it's amazing stuff. And it's really easy to work with. So I decided to buy some more of that stuff and basically make the windows a bit more, make them a bit more private, but get rid of the black blinds so that I got like, because they were quite oppressive. You know, they were um, making the room sort of very dark, even when it was really lovely and sunny, which has not obviously not been sunny for quite a few weeks. But uh, so, yeah, that's been that kind of, um, it's been a, yeah, just a really full on week. Um, I've been doing a great deal of playing this week. I've been working on a couple of little projects. Um, but it's been mainly work, 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 work. So I was kind of thinking about something to talk about this week. And like I said at the beginning of the episode, I, I saw this. I was looking at some of the previous episodes and I was like, why have I never talked about this explicitly about this thing about about your own way developing your own way of playing or just having that the confidence to uh not have to follow a leader or follow somebody else and think that oh i must do what other people tell me or i must play in a way that other people's opinion kind of you know other people have this opinion of me therefore i need to change the way i play and there's all those sort of things going on inside your head uh, when we're kind of learning and we're developing as a player. And, and and even now I think about, you know, how I'm going to further develop my play. And especially now at the moment when I feel like I've definitely uh, made some changes to my playing, which which feel like they're, um, they're going to, you know, going to have a, a really positive effect on um, on certain aspects of, of the way I approach certain playing situations, uh, particularly recording, you know, um, which I've talked about in a couple in a couple of episodes ago. Um, but yeah, it was that just that idea of 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 where do you start with that? And I was going to start by talking about one of the uh, influential drummers on me, and just about what that that influence did for me. And where how it changed the way I thought about playing, and then how that kind of it further developed um, an approach to playing, um, and and how that kind of led to certain playing in certain different situations with different sorts of people, and just about like a little snapshot into that sort of um, almost like that decision about what the consequences of that, of that decision are, you know. Um, and and so I've, I've told this story before but it's just you know if you've not heard the episode it won't mean anything to you this anyway or if you have heard it it's just a refresher and it's yeah, not very interesting but um, sorry for repeating myself uh, which I probably do all the time anyway so when I was um, in my second year at music school uh, and this was between the age of 15 and 16 it was a, what we call in the UK all the time. We called it fifth form. Um, no idea what that is now. I don't know if it's year 11 or I think it might be year 11. Uh, it's, the, it's the year before you go to sixth form college anyway, which was just for us was sixth form then, you know. Um, when I was that age, it wasn't a legal requirement in the UK for a, a young person of 16 to stay in school. You could leave school. Um, and there's all sorts of other things you could obviously do. You could marry with the consent of your parents, have a child. You could, uh, you know, you could just uh, sign on. You could, uh, maybe you couldn't sign on. I'm not sure. 
Anyway, there's certain I, did, I never I didn't sign on anyway. I wouldn't have a clue really. But you you could make lots of big life decisions when you were 16. And uh, and my late my late dad made those decisions when he was 15. My dad left school and went to work at 15. He just um, he never really got on with school. But he was very bright. My dad, clever guy, you know. Um, so it's kind of funny in it. You know, we all have different. We all do different journeys and different things happen. But now, obviously, you have to stay in some kind of education or an apprenticeship or something at the age of 16. So it's quite different. But when I was at that age, I was in my yeah, fifth form. I was 15. Um, and I was... It's quite a pivotal year at school because... And, and when I was at music school, it was a really pivotal year because they made a big change in that year, that specific year. Um, it was quite political, I think. But it was, um, it was done, you know, for for whatever reason. Um, they decided to introduce this thing called a re-audition um, process. So uh, where where I went to school was a school that you auditioned to go to, and you got a place if you passed an audition. And uh, I went there at fourteen. I did an audition when I was thirteen. And I went for my fourth year and my fifth year and then my two sixth form years. I was there four years. And, yeah, in the fifth year, in my fifth form, sorry, they had this first year they decided to introduce this re-audition um, thing, which felt like it was... Um, it felt like it was designed for other reasons, shall we say. I don't want to go into what my theories are behind that. Um, but I do have some thoughts, but I'm not going to broadcast them publicly on here. Um, it's like anything. It felt it felt more political than it did for the merits of the of the students in school. Uh, but we went through it. We jumped through the hoop, so to speak. And uh, in that year, um, it was yeah, it was quite a funny year because it was quite an unsettled year. That there was there was big changes with my teachers were coming. And uh, my lower sixth, for instance, was a very disruptive year for me. It was a difficult year in relation to studying uh, percussion. And, and and then my upper sixth was the year I got Dave Hassel, and I was Dave's first uh, student pupil at Cheatham's um, in 88. And I was a regular student at Dave's. I went to his house every two weeks for an hour. And after that, Dave became a regular teacher there, and all the students had drum lessons. So I felt kind of you know really... Um, almost uh, just part of a, a change, which I thought was a change for the good um, within that institution. And um, it's because I was very serious about the drum kit. I was good at it, but I was also serious about it. So, you know, I was kind of taken seriously by some of the powers that be and not so much by some of the others. But, um, but this was all kind of going on uh, through all the way through school. Um, the, the the thing that got me through school was the drum kit, and it was because um, it was the thing that I excelled at, and the thing that I kind of shined at, and the thing that I felt like I was me. You know, the place where I f most felt like me, um, and the people that influenced me in that kind of area were very, very important people to me, you know, uh, in, in relation to my, um, my kind of path in my 
in my brain of kind of the music I wanted to get into. And none of them are people that I know at all, you know. And so when I was 15, uh, in my fifth form, a very good friend of mine at school, I mentioned this before, um, he played me Keith Jarrett, Standards Volume 1. And uh, Keith Jarrett himself became an extremely important musician for me and still is actually and still someone I listen to these days but was but for years was someone I obsessively listened to in, in all sorts of different arenas and I've talked you know about those kind of three pivotal drummers for me around the Jarrett thing um Jon Christensen the late great the late great Paul uh, Motion and uh, or Motion as he as his uh, niece calls him um and the drummer I'm going to talk about for this segment of the podcast, Jack Dujanet. Because um, I've, when I was, I remember when I was designing my website back in 2001 or something, uh, I used to have a website, DaveWalsh.net. Um, tragically, last year, the year that the, uh, I bought the domain in, 99 or maybe two or maybe 98 on 2000 or something I can't remember when um and i had a website davewalsh.net and i was very lucky with that website in 2002 2003 i put some videos on that website that were terrible uh, they were terribly filmed and terribly recorded but they were showing some kind of interesting techniques um that i was you know that I could do and uh, I could demonstrate quite well, and I and anyway there was a there was a site called some of you may know this called Drumbum, um, and Drumbum was quite a big site, um, and there was also a site called Dr well there's still a site called Drummer World, um, which is obviously a very famous drum site. You know it's got a, got a big branding um, Drummer World thing. And basically, through some bizarre kind of reasons, I don't know what happened really, I ended up getting listed on both those sites, my website. Um, I got listed on Drummer World in a thing called uh, Wishlist or something. It was basically uh, a site that um, Bernard, I think his name, of drummers that... Uh, he'd heard of or liked or been mentioned in his forums or for different reasons. And one one of the things where, where I'd been mentioned was this website called Drumbum, and I was listed under this thing called Advanced Lessons, Advanced Techniques, sorry, um, which was A, under A. So it was right at the top of the website. And in this thing, there wasn't that many things listed and there was some like amazing players in there and then there was me. It was like, oh, what the hell am I doing in there? Um, but this guy... I'm trying to remember his name now. It's um, very remiss of me because um, I used to email him quite a lot. It's a long time ago now. Um, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Oh, it's terrible. I do apologise, but it may come back to me. Anyway, um, I got listed on, on this site and this guy had found my website. And, uh, and then basically, I just had this thing for a while. I had these videos on this, handful of videos on there. One of them was like the one-handed triplet, which I... You know, like I've talked about that molar thing, the molar technique thing, a number of episodes, and 
and how I kind of discovered that on my own, didn't know anything about Jim Chapin or Mola technique or, or Joe Morello or anything, didn't know anything about those techniques and kind of later discovered that the thing that I thought I'd discovered had been way, way discovered <laughs> in the past, um, which was fine, but I, it was like a moment of like, in fact, it was quite a nice moment because I felt like I connected to uh, to a lot of other people, whereas I'd always felt, because I'd been around a lot of drummers and there was no online thing, there was no like internet, you know, and a lot of the drummers that I was around, local drummers and stuff, couldn't do these techniques. I always felt like a bit of a weirdo, you know. And uh, and then it turned out that there was nothing special about this at all, and it was all fine. But I'd made these videos about one-handed 16th notes, one-handed, uh, the one-handed triplet. I'd made it about the hand-to-hand flam thing. I'd made a couple of videos about soloing um, and about some groove stuff. And all these videos, my, my website was getting sort of between... 100 150 hits a day you know and uh and it's one of the few things that i now in hindsight kind of slightly regret actually um is that i did nothing about it i just thought oh that's really cool you know and i was getting loads of emails from all over the world from people saying i really like your website and you're great playing and so i put a load of playing videos on there just like blowing around playing a few solos and things and dicking about you know and um and they were all there was like really terribly recorded but there was something quite sort of characterful about them i quite like them but i mean i've i was i've still got them all actually on a hard drive and uh the the you know the the video and the sound quality is so appalling it's it's actually quite funny but this was the nature of the thing in those days you know these videos were uploaded to a server i'd hosting and people could download the videos you know physically download them and uh and I, got, I had a couple of people that were quite critical of me at the time. Um, I won't say who they are, but they know who they are. Uh, because they thought I was giving information away for free, you know. And my argument was always, well, the, the quality isn't good enough to charge. The information exists in the world already, you know. It's that idea of, like, once, once a concept has been shared and uh, somebody else or three or five other people know about it then it you 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 know you're just giving it away to the world aren't you and the thing that i already knew about these techniques was that they were already you know jim chapin and morello had been teaching these things to all sorts of incredible players for years all these people i've been listening to like you know danny gottlieb and people you know danny gottlieb was one of morello's students danny gottlieb's phenomenal technician and i'd listened to gottlieb because i loved the pat metheny group you know and it's like, um, but I was listening to you know Danny Gottlieb playing, and I'd never have kind of thought that he was someone that played in that way, you know, technically. But actually, when you when you watch his teaching videos and you watch the way he talks about technique and stuff, he's right out of that kind of full stroke, half stroke, and all that stuff, and, and the molar technique thing from from um, from Joe Morello, et cetera, et cetera. But he's got his own massively got his own style. But he's an amazing technician, Danny Gottlieb, you know. So anyway, yeah, so these people were quite critical. And I was like, no, I, I don't buy that. I think, you know, if you can get a presence online and you're sharing some good information, you get you get as much good vibe back as you give out, in my opinion, I think, in the world. And then, you know, a few years after that, I got my job at college. And uh, the website had served a great kind of, had served its purpose by that point because I kind of got that job because of having that sort of bit of a profile in that way. 
Um, and I was ahead of a few of the players, really, especially in this part of the UK in that respect. Then, now, I would say I'm definitely not because people have kind of really got much more super pro about it all. But at the time, I just kind of rested on the and made these videos, and they sort of you know, they lasted a while. I made a drum DVD, which I never released uh, because I had some issues with the guy who I filmed it with, and we went our separate ways uh, artistically, shall we say. But he gave me all the files, and I made the DVD anyway. And then I just put all the stuff on YouTube for free, you know. Um, I, a good friend of mine, the Smiths drummer, Mike Joyce, was the only person to ever buy that DVD. Um, and he was going to write me a, um, you know, like a kind of, what do you call it, like a, a recommendation -y thing or something on, on it. He wanted to write something on it. Because I'd spent a little bit of time with Mike um, around that period. Um, he wanted to he wanted to sort of basically, I think, get into reading a bit and, and rudiments and a few things. And he was thinking differently about the drums. And he contacted me through somewhere I was teaching at the time. Um, and we ended, I ended up going to his house quite a lot and spending quite a lot of time with him. And um, we were just really hanging out and being sort of around each other in a, in a kind of space, drum space, really. And uh, and it was great, you know, talking to him about playing and, and watching him play and stuff because, you know, he's obviously a really iconic drummer in the UK, in my opinion. He's, he's, his kind of sound and his, his vibe is very very heavy especially in that music you know it's very much one quarter of that sound and identity of that music in its entirety you know absolutely no doubt about that and a super nice guy a really um yes a mega 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 bloke so hello to mike if you are listening um but yeah it was kind of like so it, there was uh i was kind of hanging around um this this kind of website thing had happened. Um, I'd made this DVD, didn't release it, um, and then I put I just put the videos on YouTube, and then I linked them through to my website. Uh, and they those videos and that whole thing was never quite as successful, you know. So, and it was just that thing of like it was you it was just putting time into it, and I I didn't really have the time, and there was lots of other things going on in my life. So it was kind of something that sort of went by the way, wayside really until until maybe two, three, four years ago when I decided to get into Instagram and sort of started making videos again and started doing things and trying to kind of build a bit of a following in that respect, which I'm still, you know, still in the middle of now. But, um, but anyway, it's all kind of a huge digression. There was this, uh, after, you know, when I was making this website, I'd bought this, um, the name, DaveWalsh.net. And yeah, very sadly, last year, the company, absolute idiots, host zone, never use these people. These people are morons. And uh, I'm happy to say that publicly. And uh, if you want to sue me, that's fine. I have evidence to show that they are morons. They, uh, I had this thing on an auto-renewal for years. And uh, it was, it, this thing expired at um, midnight on whatever date it was. And they didn't try, for some reason, they didn't try to renew it for an hour. And then within the hour, the web, the domain had been uh, taken by another company and was for sale for $500. Uh, 
And um, so I'd lost uh, my domain. And of course, they'd taken the money to renew but never told me. So my website wasn't working. And I was like, oh, what's going on on my website? Why is it? And I was got in touch with them. And they're like, yeah, sorry, we had a bit of a problem. We can give you this other name if you like. And it's like, no, I just want DaveWalsh.net because I've had it, you know, for nearly 20 years. And they were like, yeah, we can't really get it back. Um, it's going to take a long time. It's like, well, what does that mean, a long time? And then, now the thing I'm not telling you here was they have this ticket system. So I was sending a message and then somebody was, this bot thing was auto-replying. Um, and then I was replying to the auto-reply to say, yeah, don't auto-reply to me. I want to speak to an actual human being. And then there was a very, very nice, and I feel very sorry for her or him, I don't know who it was, replying to me saying yes we passed this on to the technical department they'll be in touch as soon as possible and i would wait a week and nothing would happen uh, this was a website that said we will we will answer your inquiry um within 72 hours of course that just means they'll reply to your initial ticket anyway so once literally a month i would get a message from some moron who was actually one of their people who was involved in losing this uh, website address of mine. And uh, it would just be a fobbing off message. So eventually I just said, I want my money back. And it was a pathetic amount of money. Uh, and, and this was like six months after they'd lost this website. And it's still for sale now. Um, somebody, because what's happened is, because I used to get quite a lot of traffic, some munchkin somewhere who has no idea about anything believes that DaveWalsh.net is worth money, you know, and it's really not worth money. Um, it's worth nothing. It's worth $8.99. I've just bought two new website uh, things. I bought one for Drums in the Shed and um, Dave Walsh Drums. I decided to buy Dave Walsh Drums, which I didn't, I didn't want to buy, but uh, I've decided to buy it because I do want to get a website up and going, uh, mainly for sort of the recording side of what I want to do, this sort of remote recording thing, being able to do remote recording demos and things for people. Um, for a sort of particular specific kind of type of recording that people seem to want to do these days, stuff that's, um, you know, not super high-end studio kind of recording, but that sort of slightly lower level, but very, very good quality. And obviously, I think, good quality playing, you know. Um, so I decided to buy these two kind of, uh, these two, um, domain names and they were like six quid you know and believe me DaveWalsh.net is worth about six quid so why it's still for sale for five hundred dollars is beyond me but it's somebody thinks they're going to get that money for it and they ain't because I used to get hits you know like I was saying 150 sometimes 100 150 hits a day um, for the videos that I had on there but I had um, it was a page of drummers who've influenced me, you know, and it was one of those kind of things. And basically, um, that whole website thing I've just gone off on was um, the thing that I wrote on there about these drummers that um, that I was sort of sharing their websites, basically. The thing I wrote about Jack was, I've listened to more Jack than probably all the other drummers I've ever listened to put together. And... Uh, and this was in, I don't know, 2002, 2003. And this was certainly the case um, for a number of years after that. 
Um, and maybe isn't the case now. I don't know. Probably still is, actually. Um, just thinking about the sort of the amount of music that I listen to now, and I kind of listen to music in a different way now. I listen to different sorts of music as well now. A bit more, I'd say, I'm a little bit more eclectic in my tastes these days than I was 20 years ago, and certainly 30 years ago. Um, but Jack was... It was one of those things where I, I told the story previously about, uh, I think it's even in the first episode, but it was definitely in the, in the Drummers of Influence episode, where I was obsessively listening to Buddy Rich. I heard Dejeunet on God Bless the Child on Standards 1, and I didn't listen to Buddy Rich again. And I just started listening to Jack, and I started listening to Jarrett. So then I kind of you know got into the belongings the album Belongings and my song with uh, with the European Quartet with uh, Jon Christensen and um, also got into the American Quartet as I've said with Paul Motion and uh, Charlie Hayden, Drew Redman and um, and then was in this kind of ECM it's like an ECM bubble really because I was listening to albums listening to a lot of Pat Metheny as well you know, so I was talking about with Danny Gottlieb and etc etc and and uh, and I was also into you know Paul Wartico and stuff, but this the, the the sort of ECM bubble was really a place that I you know was really getting into all this kind of music that was coming out of that label, and so things like you know listening to eighty eighty one Matheny, which had Jeanette on it, um, which had Dewey Redman on it. You know, Michael Brecker and Charlie Hayden, et cetera, et cetera. So I was listening to a lot of the, the same types of people. Listening to a lot of Peter Erskine as well. Um, I was kind of into Mike Stern, but I was also into Vince Mendoza, and I've talked about all those things already. But but the Jack thing was 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 bigger than that because the Jack thing was about buying specific drums and cymbals um, and it was also about playing in a certain way um, that I'm not saying I, I was playing in the way that Jack plays I'm just saying that he influenced me to play in a certain way I want to be clear about that because some people get the wrong end of the stick with those kind of statements you say oh you know I was inspired by whatever like i was inspired by picasso to paint and then you paint landscapes or something you know someone's like well why are you talking about picasso when you're painting landscapes it's just, it's just like i you know it's a terrible example but it's i don't believe that i played the drums like jack Jeanette is what i'm saying but jack the way in which jack plays and that music i was listening to and and the thing is like you know jack would play with the jarrett trio and i was really into the jarrett trio but then I'd listen to Jack like do parallel realities, you know, very kind of different album and different music would, would still sound like Jack. And you listen to Jack on those those great YouTube videos, the the they're like the tenor colossus or three tenors or whatever they're called, the sort of tributes to Coltrane and stuff with um you know, people like Garzone and Liebman and uh, Joshua Redman and Brecker and uh, all these kind of heavyweight tenor players. And Jack's in the band, and and so is Christy McBride and Holland, Dave Holland, and uh, like um, what's his name, uh, the, the piano uh, Joey Calderazzo, I think. Um, different, yeah, different piano players. But anyway, you listen to Jack playing on those 
things and it's the same vibe you know so so that that vibe for me it, it influenced the way i think i played in all situations you know and uh and that was like kind of in one respect was an absolute nightmare because i was kind of playing the drums kind of quite inappropriately a lot of the time for the situations but i was like people were asking me to play with them they must have liked something about me or the way i was playing or a bit of both and had no idea and and these people asked me you know to play with them for a long long time still play with some of those people and i i did definitely something in the way that i played that was influenced by this kind of what i the way i saw jack's thing was this this this, this feeling of of the center it was a feeling of openness you know a feeling of openness within what was happening in the music and what one could contribute to the music you know and uh, now however naive that view is it's irrelevant it doesn't matter whether i'm even right because it's just about what it made me do and the direction it made me take in life and and so what i'm sort of trying to share here um is is if you're having doubts about that thing or thinking about what to do with with your approach to playing or if you're feeling like you know there's so many different influences at the moment in the world so many different things you can listen to and so many different rabbit holes you can go down and so many different this that and the others so many different amazing things it's like where's your heart really lie what's really pulling you in a certain direction you know and i think the key is to is to is to not worry about if you're doing something the same as whatever even if it's the person you're improvised uh, sorry inspired by it's just to to make sure that you follow the feeling the feeling that it gives you um i have this kind of uh it's like a kind of way of looking at um the influence it's it's what i sort of call like breathing the influence it's like you 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 live it you breathe it it's something that's part of how you are at the instrument you know it just becomes sort of part of your relationship with the instrument and just allowing yourself to kind of enjoy that space with it enjoy what that feeling is attached to that you know it's like if you it's just when you hear or see somebody playing or doing something in a certain way that makes you feel liberated i just think you should really follow that that way you know because it feels to me it feels like the truth you know um and and it's not about like how you practice and all those things it's really not that and one of the things i've learned in the last 10 years through having some lessons myself but also looking at teachers who taught some incredible players uh, and about how different all those players are who come through those those kind of players or systems and if you go back you know I, I like I always go back to Alan Dawson you know that's one person that I seem to go back to all the time just in relation to um 
like where back to that thing I was talking about before, where you know these concepts are introduced to the world, and once they're introduced to the world, they're free, aren't they? They're, they're, they they go out into the world, and they have a life of their own because they're they're a, they're a concept, they're they're a, an approach to doing something, um, which, you know. The the truth and the devil in that is in the, is in the, is in the he's doing the job of work in the detail of it you know it's it's all very well uh, like I, I share that Ted Reed a lot you know a lot of people that studied with me know what I'm talking about that, that that Ted Reed approach and it's something that I've been doing for years and years and then I had this lesson with John Riley and John Riley teaches in that way I didn't get it from John Riley you know he got it from I mean, it comes from Alan Dawson essentially. Let's let's just you know, but it it's it's a it's an approach, a concept to those exercises, which can be, which has thousands of variations, and there's so many different nuances even within just some of the basic kind of approaches that is basically a bottomless pit of um, of of ideas and things that you can practice. Now, none of that, none of those systems should get in the way of this thing of of this feeling of where where you want to be as a player. You know what what the sound world of of what you want to play within is, what kind of what vocabulary you want to develop for yourself that's going to identify you to other people. You know what kind of pocket you're going to develop, what feel groove you know, sound, all those things. It's kind of, I mean, I like the word, this sound world, it was Nikki Isles, actually, a great British pianist. Um, she was doing some uh, assessing for us at college. She comes in and, and marks kind of as an external uh, piano specialist. And uh, and she's an amazing, amazing player and so, so clever and, uh, you know, emotional about the music and great to be around. And um, and she was just talking about this sound world thing, and I, and I just I just loved the, the way she described it and and what it meant about this this student that we were listening to, you know, because she was kind of pointing out something that wasn't really you know within like the criteria almost of the assessment, you know. Um, it it kind of is because it's about. It links to all those things like you know, stylistic convention and um, you know authenticity and blah 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 blah. But it's just it, it kind of says a wider thing in one word, one word, you know. And it can it can really help people when they're learning to sort of just to put everything in one place almost to go. Yeah, this is yeah yeah. I can hear that sound world in my head. I can hear, you know, what that feel is, what that style is, what that sound is what that music is, you know, who are the people that I'm playing with making that music, who are the people I want to play with, who are the people that are, who want to, I want them to hear my music and be into it, you know, connect with and, and connect with in that, because it's a spiritual thing, isn't it? You know, we're connecting. If somebody comes up to you and says, I love your playing on whatever, I, I take it as a, as a spiritual connection, you know, because they're connecting with something that's emotional it's a musical thing that's been communicated from you through your instrument and uh and he's speaking you know it's, it's talking to somebody 
in its own right on its own within its own you know its own two feet so to speak so yeah i really like that kind of idea but i just think you know don't be afraid um and be confident about your vibe uh, and, and and just start think of allowing yourself the time to develop you know with the style the sound the approach um and like i was saying you know like just this thing of breathing with the influences you know just let those influences breathe them in and you know and breathe them out just let them like let them be you know inside you in that way and uh, and when you're sort of experimenting on the instrument and trying to find how to make that sound and and, you, and then you may be seeking out people who you know who play in that way and have maybe found ways to you know to maybe even practice it you know get those things together um but it's just having that kind of strong identity in the first place about what do i want to sound like you know and i always ask new students when i'm at college it's one of the first things that i ask them you know that these these they're, they're normally 18 plus you know um the people i teach now that they're all they're all of that undergraduate uh, age 18 plus most of them are 18 some are mature students and one of the first questions i have for them is is that is what do you want to sound like what is the sound in your head now that is the sound you aspire to be you know to be close to or to be making um it doesn't have to be fixed it's just that do you have that type of thought process and emotional connection to the instrument you know compared to oh i'm studying this book and i'm doing this and i'm doing that and it's all a bit kind of like it's all a bit i don't know what the word is it's um it's all a bit kind of intellectual in a way uh, or just a bit kind of it's it's all a bit external. That's the word I'm looking for, um, which is a contradiction of intellectual, obviously, <laughs> because obviously intellectual is something that's inside your brain, and something that's external is something that's being taken from an external source, and you're not really making it your own. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, and sometimes actually coming to college or or just coming to a teacher can make you go, oh, hold on a minute, I'd never thought about things in that way before. I've been I've been like practicing and getting on with stuff and it sound good and you know got all these things together and I'm just like oh hold on a minute yeah 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 there's this whole other side of it that all this facility is going to give me the opportunity and the options to play in this way or play differently or play more like this person and go down that kind of route you know and so the thing with Jujanet was like I, I i was really into that sound so like um like symbols wise when i was you know 19 20 18 19 20 when i kind of left school went to london and stuff and, and and started kind of trying to develop a bit more as a player i was like desperate to buy symbols that that sounded like that sound you know and uh, i've still got a ride today that's very very dijonet in the well it's kind of that mid 80s standards live kind of sound you know and all the way through um very very kind of heavy pingy istanbul sort of um pre-split ride you know um and i've still yeah I've still got one of those symbols it's an agot memet uh, special edition 91 
and uh, and I was also really, really, and I've talked about this before in a previous one, about the sonar drum sound, very loud, very, very loud motorbike. Got a lot of loud mo motorbikes around it at the moment. It's uh, They're a bit irritating, actually. Quite, quite antisocial, but um, kind of all that pent-up lock, lockdown kind of vibe. <clears throat> but... Um, yeah, I'm sure they're kind of breaking the law with the uh, the with the sound of them actually. Um, anyway, I digress. Um, but yeah, there's this uh, sort of the sonar drum thing was something that um, that I couldn't quite afford to get into, and 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 as many of you listening to some of the previous podcasts know, that finally I I own some drums that are. Um, very very close to that sound and I, I love those drums they're brilliant um, um and and obviously i still play istanbul cymbals i'm i'm, a, I'm an agop istanbul uh, person i play those cymbals pretty much exclusively um because they're my sound you know they're 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 a kind of sound that i got to through this journey uh, they don't really sound like jack now the symbols and stuff that i play now don't really sound like that they sound quite different um but i would never have got to this place if i hadn't gone through that kind of uh, that journey you know thinking about playing things in that way but that was what that was the kind of um the thing with with Jack was wanting to get really, really as close to that sound and the symbols and everything. And then there was the sort of the approach to sort of soloing and improvising and uh, like this, like the textural approach to the instrument of, of kind of experimenting with uh, different ways of sort of hitting the instrument and then I, I love this kind of concept I'd heard that he talked about his concept of time, this thing of this of the of the washing machine thing, this constant cylinder that that moves, you know, in one direction. It's uh, and it moves in time. It's you know it moves at a speed, and uh, but inside it is all these clothes that all sort of fall over each other within the cylinder. And so they're all falling in time, but they're all just got this kind of sort of falling over each other. As you do if you sit and watch the washing machine, which I don't do, but it's a sort of thing apparently cats do. Um, but if you, see, yeah, if, you see, if you sit and stare at a washing machine, you see the clothes sort of or or you know something that's a cylinder spinning with the clothes in you know, like a dryer as well or something it's just the idea that something something's constantly spinning which is your core and then the way you play within that he, he definitely has a freedom within time which i find remarkable you know because it's like it's all in time but it's really really got a freedom a looseness um that's uh, that's like amazing and i i was always kind of in awe of that thing you know um and couldn't really ever get close to you know to playing in that way but um but again it was when i when i when i was playing a lot of jazz and doing a lot of um jazz gigs and when I was soloing, and especially when I was doing exchange soloing, like you know, this thing of fours and eights and twelves, etc., uh, I was really uh, much more loose in those in those days when I was 
just trying to play in this way, you know, of play play for eight bars, but be able to just play in that space in a in a in a very loose and not not really kind of regimented way. I feel I feel now I'm much more regimented. It's just it's just you know what's happened in my playing and how I've kind of changed and become I think a little bit more uh, sort of developed my vocabulary in, in a in a different way kind of got into a different kind of approach to playing but again it's all you know it's come through the journey it's all served me well it's all been you know it's all been really interesting and valuable and rewarding you know um and I still the the sort of core of it the the the, the jack thing is always melodic you know if you listen to that solo on god bless the child on standards one the, the drum solo he plays on the end of it and when you first hear the tune you're like there's going to be a drum solo on this tune. It's like, wow, you know. And then you get there and you hear the way he plays this solo over the vamp that Jarrett and Gary Peacock are doing. It's so melodic, you know, uh, especially rhythmically. It's just got this really strong sense of melody. And that's the thing that I've carried into my present playing more than ever is that quality, you know, of, uh, of trying to be more and more kind of true and stick to the melody and, and being melodic and and sort of um, having a, have a exploring that kind of starting point as opposed to you know maybe um, some drummers come from it from a drummy kind of perspective okay it's my solo I'm now going to play in a rudimental way or in a vocabulary kind of way or in a chopsy way or whatever that's fine uh, my 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 approach is definitely more melodic and if you go back and listen to my there's a podcast i did called uh i think it's called drum solos an abstract view or approach or something and it's about that uh it's a kind of tongue-in-cheek title because it's not abstract at all is it it's actually um the opposite of abstract <laughs> but i think it might be abstract to some drummers who uh the you know the the approach of the drum solo is you know, we all feel the pressure, don't we, to be, um, you know, to do Moby Dick. You know, the amount of times I've I've been asked to do Moby Dick, you know, um, John Bonham on gigs. When I'm playing some like little jazz gig in a bar or something, you, you know, and somebody says to me, can you, can you do Moby Dick? It's like, no. Yeah. Why? Why? What's the, why, what? But they're just trying to make a connection, aren't they? Because they, they're like, they see drums, they see drummer. They know Moby Dick, the drum solo. And uh, I think there's a lot of that in society goes on with for drummers, you know. People, they they just want you to uh, to connect to something that they know about the, the instrument, which is fair enough. Um, whereas other people, you know, they, they really get into that. They kind of hear you play and they get into the way you're playing, you know. And... Uh, and and that's definitely definitely been my approach. But there's this thing of the solo, uh, my solo approach is more melodic these days. And, you know, sometimes there are, there, there are situations after soloing where you know, there isn't that melodic, that same melodic kind of material available. So then I, then I default to the vocabulary, you know, thing or the, the more kind of technique-based soloing um, because I've got a lot of that stuff together, you know, so... I can quite easily do that and quite enjoy that. And it's funny how, because, you know, a lot of people, the majority 
um, if you're playing in a kind of what I would call a generic situation where your audience is mixed, it's from, you know, mixed backgrounds and mixed experiences of music and stuff. When you get into the sort of the kind of more technical sort of solo where you're getting into some of those kind of common chops, people get worked up and they go, woo, you know, you get that kind of, yeah, woo, and everyone gets excited. If you're playing some like pole motion style, like improvised, textural, melodic, kind of abstract solo in inverted commas, most people are like, have got no idea what you're doing. You know, it's just like complete. So you've got to have, it's like that thing of being appropriate for the situation almost, you know. Um, and I, I definitely made that decision because I wasn't doing a lot of gigs that, um, you know, the majority of a lot of the gigs that I was doing weren't, gigs where I could be like Jack you know and I learned over the years that I was some of the, a lot of those situations were not appropriate for me to be playing like Jack and I should just be maybe you know just just playing a little bit more straight down the line and um and just playing a little bit more like this that or the other but at the end of the day I still think I sounded like me essentially you know um but is that uh, I was doing some recording last week uh, for somebody, and uh, they said, "Oh, can you just do like a jazz freakout solo?" You know, and I was like, "Wow, okay." And uh, I just started playing really free, you know, no time, no kind of recognizable vocabulary. You know, I wasn't doing like a Max Roach thing. You know what I mean? I wasn't doing like an Alan Dawson thing. I wasn't doing like a Philly Joe thing, you know. I was doing, uh, I probably wasn't, I was, I was kind of doing a bit of, it was actually, it was actually closer to Jack than than anybody actually. It was like I was thinking, you know, some of those uh, kind of quite open solos, like on Changes, you know, that flying part two, you know. Even though it's in time, it's got quite an abstracty kind of vibe about it. Um very compositional, but uh, very open. So it's kind of like, but I hadn't played that for such a long time. I was like a bit like, oh, wow, yeah. I, I remember I used to do a lot of that sort of thing. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, anyway, I would just, I would say definitely you want to really explore that, you know. If you're feeling like you've got like a, just an inkling of wanting to go in a certain direction and you're feeling like you know, the people around you or who you're playing with around you is he's pushing you in a different direction. It doesn't feel like it's the direction you're kind of wanting to go in. You should definitely explore that, explore that uh, approach to playing, you know, to, to developing your approach to the instrument. And then it's just that thing as well of like, you know, respecting other people's views um, as you emerge, you know, it, with if you're kind of changing the way you're playing or you're starting to reveal more this kind of side of yourself, you know, it can be, it can be quite challenging for people around you. It can be feeling like, you know, you're kind of like moving away from their vibe or, or becoming a different thing. It's like the sort of like the, you know, the, the caterpillar into the butterfly kind of vibe, you know. Um, but ultimately, everybody does that. So it's actually fine, you know. Sometimes it's just a timeline thing, isn't it? Sometimes people are different timelines of that. It's, it's going to happen for everybody. 
but it's just different timelines. And it's that I always say when I'm teaching people about, you know, I just say I'm just at a different place on the same timeline. You know, that's all it is. I've just done a bit more or done a lot more or done a lot more of this, you know, or have a lot more experience of that. Um, but we're essentially the same thing, you know. We're 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 from the same place. We have the same desire um, to, you know, not to sound like each other, but to sound like ourselves. But but it's just that thing of, you know, in in a way, no one's any better than anybody else. Part of me believes that, you know, because it's just that thing of experience, isn't it? And you know, I look at some great young people that I have the pleasure to teach and I just think well what are they going to sound like in 20 years and I've been playing 35 you know or what are they going to sound like in 20 years you know wow I listened to myself 20 years ago and it's like or 15 years ago it's like yeah it's I'm just beginning to really like the sound of uh, some things that I do some things so you know, but it's all yeah, anyway. Everyone has their own view of themselves, don't they? But um, but yeah, just have that respect for people around you. It's really important, and just everyone's got to flex, you know. Um, and then it's just that vibe of like the moment when you start to feel yourself breaking free, you know, of um, of whatever has been the previous teaching or institution or influence or whatever, and as you kind of start to feel your own thing developing and about sort of how um, how liberating that should feel, you know. So, yeah, that's kind of, um, that's really what I wanted to talk about this week. It's been something I've been thinking quite a lot about, um, not with myself, but just with, uh, in relation to this other thing about sort of how people develop their own way of teaching and about their own way of sharing their experience, you know. And uh, and that thing of you know not not getting into teaching too young, or if you're going to get into teaching when you're younger to sort of make a living is to kind of you know have ways that you can teach which are still going to allow you to to really flex your own learning and and have the space to be really developing and not be tying yourself and the people you're teaching into a system which maybe is quite young for you, you know, and is actually going to change a lot in you know, four or five years if you carry on developing as you are. Um, so, uh, or using some of these, you know, I've talked about this this Ted Reed thing, this syncopation, uh, tripletizing the straight quaver patterns, you know, um, using some of those concept way of teaching instead, just as ways to get uh, your students into... Uh, having a good practice ethic, you know, of, of understanding the, the, the sort of method of practicing, you know, what practicing is different than what playing is, you know, because that's what those exercises do. And, uh, and that's what you learn about yourself in comparison to this thing of developing yourself as an artist or, or being influenced by a specific vibe or player and you wanting to go down that kind of, you know, that, direct take that direction you know it's um it's just really important to have those to have those two things well balanced i think you know <clears throat> because i i always think like with a lot of um like pop drummers drummers that 
that are into kind of their band players. I I sort of think sometimes that there's there's not there's much credit given to that approach to playing as there should be because it's a really you know that there's a purpose behind that sort of playing i mean i just i generally sort of see two kinds of of players really in my experience generically i mean it's it's a very sweeping statement but it's it's just a very simple way of looking at things you get players that play in a band or have you know they're in a band project it's a band thing they're charlie watts you know they're um, you know john bonham keith moon or people i've talked about before they, they play in a group and that that's what they do now they may guest or occasionally appear appear doing other things or they may they may make a drum dvd or something whatever but they're known you know it's like neil pitt you know rush you know he was massively iconic drummer you know beyond that band actually but he he that was the band he was in you know and it, it was known for it was known when i was you know 12 13 when i first got into playing all the guys who were a bit older than me were all into him and into rush you know and uh, and i and i i understood why i wasn't so much but i understood why you know uh, again i was yeah, I was still more on the Keith Moon side of things on that on that sort of side of playing, but um, but yeah, you get those sorts of players, and then you get what you'd call the Jeff Picaros of this world, you know, like even the Steve Gads or you know or John Robinsons or you know Yogi Horton, the late great Yogi Horton, amazing, um, you know, great these great players that can play with so many different people and bring a strong sense of identity, artistic identity to those situations. You know, they, they kind of, uh, they sprinkle the magic dust over something that's, um, you know, they're essentially, they're, they're hired to do two kind of things. I mean, if you listen to Steve Gadding, listen to like the Mozambique groove thing, which he, he credits to Don Elias, you know, he learned off the late great Don Elias, you know. And uh, and so he takes no credit for that groove, but he's made that groove iconic to him, you know, because of how many records that he's used that same groove on. And people have, you know, they have asked him to be on those records to play that groove that he plays, you know. Now, it's like that groove can be learnt by anybody because, you know, that you can watch watch live at Pass 92, the drum DVD, when he does the, you know, he does the two symbols and he shows you the pattern, you know. It's like you can learn that rhythm off that video in five minutes. It's not complicated. Um, but learn to play the bloody rhythm. Now, that's a lifetime. And learn to play it like Gad? Well, it probably ain't going to ever happen, is it? You know, I've never heard anybody, anybody play it like Gad. And that's why he's recorded it on so many records. So, like, if you just think about that one example, that lineage, think about Don Elias, and then you think about Gad, and you think about that one rhythm, and you think about all those records, you know, there's a kind of script in there, isn't there? There's a very different script than Charlie Watts or Neil Peart you know these these kind of band drummers, so to speak, these these players that become kind of uh, you know uh, Chad Smith, you know Chili Peppers. 
it's just, I mean, massive personality. What a, what a, what an amazing guy, an amazing personality. But it's that thing of the, the essentially is connected to that band, you know. Um, and so it's kind of, yeah, you see those kind of different sorts of players, and it's kind of I find that really interesting. And I, I've always felt like I fell into the kind of, you know, the second category, really, someone who, who kind of gets asked to play with people, and 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 you know, it's kind of. I don't know, just does all sorts of different things, um, but ends up kind of being asked to play again and again with the same people, eventually, you know, and and occasionally gets to work with new people and build the portfolio, um, but uh, I was never a band drummer, you know, never in a, in a group and just played in that one group, you know, um, but have had you know long term relationships with artists and bands um and 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 still do to this day so which is which is which is something i've wanted more in my life you know so so yeah anyway so that's kind of it really um kind of prattled on about that for long enough i think um but yeah if you think if you're in that kind of headspace and you're coming out of this kind of lockdown situation and you've been doing a lot of practice and you feel like you're in a good space with your core playing you know this period may be a period where it's really highlighted to you like where you want to go down a, a different musical avenue and you haven't got the confidence to do that for whatever reason. It could be social reasons, self-confidence reasons, could be just logistical reasons, geographical reasons, all kinds of things. I'd say to you this is, is, is have the self-belief and the confidence to explore that because there's a reason why it's calling you, you know. And the instrument, the instrument, it takes us in the direction it wants us to, you know. It's very much part of how we live and breathe. It's very much part about how we think and how we feel, how we connect to the world. Uh, it's not everything, but it's it's important to us, you know. And, and I think that if we don't follow these instincts uh, and, and, you know, this lovely term again, uh, these instincts to kind of go and go and explore and go and live in this sound world for a while, you know, uh, then, then, you know, I think we're not exploring all the possibilities that could take us on, on a, on a really interesting and fulfilling journey. So, um, yeah, that's, um, my thoughts on that anyway. So, uh, have a great week. Um, and if you have been, um, thanks for listening to this i'm trying not to steal other people's punchlines because it's like if you have been thanks for listening i'm sure that's somebody on youtube that i watch a lot um but yeah um i really appreciate if you have been listening um great to share some thoughts and i will be back again hopefully the same time next week so bye for now